Good morning and welcome everybody. Anybody. We're here today and we're going to celebrate we're going to celebrate the fathers, but also the stepfathers, the grandfathers, the future fathers and all males, all Christian men. We are here to honor you today. Many times I'm in my reproving mode on my websites. That's part of my ministry, preparing the bride of Christ. Not the pride of Christ, not the fright of Christ, but the holy bride of Christ, the reverential fear of the Lord. But on this day, I want to make sure we're honoring because, you know, you got to give honor where honor is due. We're so grateful for you, all the great hero role models, parents and pastors and people who have really been in authority that are genuine. That includes school teachers, that includes professors or people that are you know, not in church that are doing a great hero job and going to work every day, those who are out of work seeking employment, but yet you're keeping your faith, you're not letting any strongholds of doubt or fear or pain limit you. And so there are many situations where a human who happens to be sent on their earthly mission in the Christian sense, in the outer earth suit of a male, be it white or brown or tan of any color, any ethnicity, we want to say we honor you. Of course, we honor everybody, you know, whether you're male or not or anybody else. We want to give our message today because it is Father's Day in America, and yet we want to honor people anyway for the authority in which they are called. And so it doesn't matter if your earth suit is a, you know, like I said, a Christian earth suit or, you know, a person who has got the committed to Jesus Christ or not, we'll still honor you and still respect you. But we want to say today is the day that the Christian community and many other communities all face honor the males, and we're going to do that. I teach deliberately when I teach in ministry on onlinefellowship.us. I teach deliberately on males and females as the born-again tradition in the Bible, Old and New Testament has sort of brought it down to this day. One of the reasons, though, I teach it because I was defragging the accusation, the limitations, the lack of skill of understanding the difference in males and females in the authority of their office, the human office, and then in their roles outside and inside the church. Anybody else with any kind of different view of that, that does not believe in that, that is fine, but I thought it would be better and more healthy to train and make sure we get through the Christians so we defrag all fault-finding, accusation, gender bias, racism, and then that would help eliminate any kind of hate speech or bashing of any community with a different theology. So if you get my drift, please be patient. We're for the body of Christ, we're for the heroes, and it really doesn't matter if you're male or female, Dom D, but we're just honoring because of the day it is. And I want to honor my dad. My dad was a Christian. He was Western European background, lived in Dallas, Georgia, of all places. It used to be, the only time I ever went many years ago after he died, decades ago, it was like a postage stamp size that I'd heard like, wow. Now we lived growing up in Norfolk, Virginia, went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, graduated Baptist seminary. We went all over the place. We had a little church at one point that point that was in central Virginia that was way out in the country. So I can address the Pontywoods preacher because I was amongst them. 
and I can address country, small churches and rural because I've been amongst you many years. But then I can also address cosmopolitan, big city because I lived in Norfolk and Dallas and I've traveled. So we're for whomever. And right now I want to urge everyone, encourage everyone to really work on your multiculturalism because you know it in the same. It's not going to be the same. This is going to be as you know, people on their technology buying property and investing right where you live so nobody's going to remain the small town back in the woods, died in the wool, country preacher. And that's why I also work on, I'm really getting on the case of discouraging false doctrine. We're for the ministers. We just encourage them to really, and we reprove them so that they do not have fault-finding accusation, racism, bias, hate speech, you know, homophobia, anything like that. So I'm working on the narrow teaching of the traditional Christian and submitting it as a sila to the Christian, though any other group or faith, you know, kind of belief is fine and you're welcome and respected. We think, I've heard enough myself of the fault-finding certain kinds that it got my attention like a red flag and i thought man if they're doing that to a fellow christian what are they doing to the maybe the other kinds and that's what you've heard me talk a lot on in many sites such as teammateu.com as well as tcleader.com and many other sites dfw leader and a lot of ones because why bother saying you represent jesus if you're a baptist or if you're a Methodist or if you're a Christian or charismatic or prophetic or whatever you want to be, whatever your style Catholic, and then you don't act like him. You don't have a clue about who he really was in his nature, his character, his fruit, and also the fact that his faith was not a white person's faith. It, he came from the Hebrew lineage in the Middle East. So we have a lot of theatrics, a lot of inherited, passed down, you know, pictures that are just because of our society and the culture for decades with TV. Now we're for the good parts. You know, the Bible teaches me, it says strengthen what remains. And that's what we're working. Everyone just, you know, go frag and defrag the doctrine. You want to represent the Messiah of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. The Messiah foretold in the Old Testament was said to have all of God's seven spirits. That means the seven spirits that would be in the book of Acts without tongues. So people who are scared of the Holy Spirit, just go read Isaiah 11 and 2 and start to ask God for more of his Holy Spirit. He's a gentleman and he will not take you over and throw you down or whatever that you might think. But I want to make sure we're teaching strength, simpleness, strength, and character and respect for anybody with they ever know the Lord or want the Lord and Jesus Christ or not. So I teach to the Christian only and submit it as a sila to think about it, be a noble Berean that would make Paul proud and then choose what say throughout the stubble. All right. So we want to say it's been a long time that we've all heard that God is going to move and he really is moving. And I'm not upset. My only concern is that a lot of Christians who say they're Christians, even prophets, have not gotten on the same page as the Christ because they're not representing the New Testament. There's a lot of old, and then they're not representing the Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. Let me tell why it's a character issue and a might issue. 
All right, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 is the foretold coming Messiah. All right, when the Messiah comes, it said he would come from the branch of Jesse. That's David's side of the family through his mother. Of course, there's the supernatural side. There's the natural side. We're looking for organic as best we can in every teaching, every Christian representation in ministry in you and me, in the, even in the little sub pockets. What is organic? Organic means without human synthetic additives. And a lot of it can be and might be the law or tradition. Good old boy, good old person tradition or whatever. So we're trying to defrag it. Isaiah 11 and 2 is a hero role model of any minister or Christian. It said that Jesus would be filled, the Messiah of Isaiah 11, 2, coming down from Jesse's side of the family. And let me say this, Jesse's side of the family comes from the side of the tribe of Judah, which is a servant leader agricultural crowd, and a, a crowd of uh, his tribe, rather, which is a crowd. And so it would come... And he wouldn't be like the Levite Levitical patriarchism of the fault finding, all that, you know, type of bad sin spying prophet. So Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, let's look at it. And it says that in the day there would come in the new future time back in Isaiah. Now that Isaiah is a huge book. It is so meaty. I'm talking on it from 1 through 10 to you know, the different kind of leaders. Uh, it was a word of warning and reproving and correction. It also talks of the Messiah. It talks about the Isaiah 56, honor and blessing of keeping a Sabbath. It talks about the keeping of a, the real Isaiah fast. Why have you fasted? And I have not seen, says the Lord. It's because of your relationship schisms and issues. It's got a lot of good things, the healing virtue, the foretold Messiah again, so many things, too many things. So I'm trying to teach the Messiah of Isaiah, the Messiah of Isaiah, book of Acts, so that a Baptist, anybody who's not a, who's traditional or just a little bit afraid can start to want to ask for more of Holy Spirit power because we need that imbuement of the book of Acts power, whether or not you're, you don't have to be a charismatic or a Pentecostal because that, I come from the quiet side. I come from a really Baptist side where I didn't want anyone shoving it on me or, you know, overwhelm me or dominating me. And I had that happen a few times, rarely when I first started out. That's what made me very sensitive and cautious about this. All right. So 11 and 12, let's look at that. There shall come a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The rod means government, all right? The government will be upon his shoulders. One of the things I love to mention is, instead of this Hitler type or, you know, certain kinds of groups in the Christian sense are, you know, like dominating, you've got to do it this way, you've got to be under us and over us and all that type of thing. To me, the rod of government can mean correction, but it can also mean the strength that he gave that we need in the book of Acts when he, we invite Jesus into our heart at first. He gives us the Holy Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, to get it back. Because when it was taken, when it was given up, it was like, oh, yeah, 
Adam gave it away at the garden and all that Eden thing happened, which you want to get to it. The human race lost their power over their tongue, over their self-government, and they started to accuse, abuse, be self-righteous, and all those things, which is just basic human sin. That's why Jesus had to come back, the Messiah, and give it back healthiness and wholeness and soundness of character, mind, body, and soul, and relationships, and that's why Jesus came. That's a huge topic. All right. So here we have a picture of the Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now these are the seven spirits of God, which all of us need to have. And once we invite Jesus into our heart and made him our Lord and Savior, then he can give us a deposit and then we can ask for more and get more, ask for more filling and learn the Bible and read and study and pray and get born again, but also, also ask for the Holy Spirit and all these wonderful things. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's him? The Messiah, the coming Messiah, Jesus. All right, the Spirit of the Lord is one of God's holy seven spirits. It says it'll rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, Holy Spirit, counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the holy, reverential, abiding woe fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, okay? And this is the part we want to talk to about ministry, Christians, and leadership of the day and ourselves. It said he would, all the seven spirits of God in him, the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? Verse three, and it will make him quick of understanding all that Holy Spirit power book of Acts would give him and anointing the unction to function in different ways, different higher levels. And it would make him quick of understanding, that's Jesus, in the fear of the Lord. So he never quit being humble, having a perspective of eternity, that there's a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. He didn't get caught and lost, go off on a tangent, a rabbit trail. All right? And it will make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by the sight of his eyes nor make decisions based on what he heard. This is a character role model trait for any minister, Christian, father, parent, male or female, any kind of background. All right, so he would not use his gift of discernment, a prophet, a perceiver discerner. You know, that word prophet has gotten so abused, and so is the word apostle through the years, through my years, with all the different teachings, that I'm using it on purpose to stir up thought, repackage it, make it down to earth, easily and treated, user-friendly, but not using anybody. All right, not entitled, not the potentate or queen or king. Okay, this is like, oh, okay, Jesus was walking about, doing good, being natural, relating, humble leader with the power of God in him. He wasn't frightening, wasn't dominating, wasn't controlling, and he never used his prophetic seer skill to spy and be spooky and watch, you know, like ornery. He wasn't ornery. He did not far off sin spy. He would relate and correct or love them, and both men and women, he was respectful. So Jesus Christ, it said, he would not judge by the sight of his eyes nor reprove. That means another translation is make decisions based on what he heard. He wouldn't believe the rumors, the scuttlebutt, the gossip. He wouldn't tolerate it in his ministry, and he would not speak it. 
because he was holy. So with that in mind, let's go back to see. Now that we've heard about the future Messiah that we now can meet Jesus, you know, that represents Jesus, the Christ of character, of the true character, let's go back prior to the fall in Genesis 3. Let's go back as our role model for God and a man, the first man, Adam. Like I said, I'm teaching Bible tradition to the Christians because if we can clear up the accusation, the fault finding, the weirdness, and the warp, you know, of the all these stereotypes, the weaker, stupider vessel that is out there. I've out been around the country at the grassroots, and some of this is just mighty wrong. It really is. So let's get it back so we can get a basic, decent command of it. So Genesis 1 is where we're going to begin, and we need to begin to clear up what we now think. And like I say, I'm submitting it to you. So we have Genesis 1 where it says God created in the heaven, and, or in the beginning God created. And then it lists all the things, heaven and earth, moon and stars, all these things. All right, it is my opinion that God has a personality. And that God has many ways of functioning and expressing himself and many facets. He has so many we can't figure him out. That's, that's so cool. So before the garden, a lot was going on before the garden. There is the Revelation 12, battle in heaven, all the, you know, all the accuser, the snake that was sent down and he came down to Genesis 3. There's a mutiny against God. But there also before that, God was busy in his more studious, artsy mode, type B, let's say, contemplating, measuring, and thinking, and doing science. All right, let's figure out atoms, and neutrons, and planets, and humans, and sarks, that means the breath, and soul, and spirit. I mean, it's so amazing, and if you can't think it's possible, then why do we have all those video games and amazing graphics and amazing uh, panoramic science fiction? That is just, uh, if we can grasp that, then God is bigger, but it gives us ability to at least say, man, I can go for the supernatural. I just don't want to be spooky or controlling or be wrong spirit error. That's all I want. All right, so... <clears throat> So let's go on down through skipping chapter one over to, let's see, let's skip down to verse 26 of chapter one. And God said, let us make man in our image. That means humankind. All right. Let's make humankind in our image like in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air and all that. So it said in verse 27, God created man in his own image, all right? In the image of God created him, male and female created he them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Back then, there was no poison. There was no criticism. There was no sin. You know, when sin came, it brought in a decay, a detrimental factor where there was always going to be this warfare of every person who ever lives of wearing toward death, be it lust, pride, vanity, fighting, murder, 
whatever, killing yourself, a lot of things, it was the dark side was released and the, you know, it was like the world, the good and evil was exposed. Let's get there. All right. So God has made a plan where everything is organic. And he says, I've got this for you forever. Just keep on multiplying and be fruitful. Fill those planets to the, fill the galaxies. And, you know, I just think of all the inventions, the excitement. I thought if they hadn't had the fall, if fear and death and gloom and hatred and limited sight, you know, inner sight had not come in with the garden fall, the choices, wow, they might have had internet in two weeks. They might have gotten all this stuff we've had to fight for and fight through and believe for. They could have had it with no problem because there was no sin, no law, no need for the Torah, Ten Commandments, because they were all in a relationship, a loving relationship with the Father Creator. Amazing. Supernatural, hard to understand, but true. All right. So God has a plan. Can you picture the garden? Nothing is missing. Nothing is broken. Nothing is lacking. It's all beautiful. No dirt that would be harmful dirt. No pollution. No limited anything. So that's the picture of humankind. All right. So God sets it up. He's now in his type A mode, assertive. Let there be light. His type B was let's contemplate and dream, you know, what I'm going to figure out what to do, measure and architecture and all the realms of being and glory. <laughs> and then he gets to the human nature. All right. So he puts the humans in the garden and it says specifically that he made men and women in his own image and he blessed them. There was nothing to cause them pain or heartache. That is the main thing. Let's get over to chapter two. God rests. And then it sort of uses the term man, meaning one person, the individual Adam. Let's get to that Adam in chapter two. Let's see. And God planted a garden eastward in Eden and he put the man whom he had formed. All right. So he had formed the man out of the dust of the earth. Everybody. All right. So he gave, he had formed the man, which was Adam first, firstborn son. And he put him in the garden and all these wonderful things were there. He never had a bad day, never ran out of provisions. And verse 15 of chapter 2, and the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep him. He wanted him to be busy. He gave him a brain. He gave him a thought. He gave him a work ethic. He wanted to let him grow and figure out things, which would include what we know now, probably. It is my opinion. And the Lord and Adam had a relationship because he was the firstborn, no Eve at the time. In chapter one, we say collectively God made humans, you know, but this one is specifically speaking to Adam, first boring chain of command, all right? And at this point, it is a hero chain of command, like the governor of the planet, the great father of them all to come with no warfare and no ego, no frail human carnal side, all right? So God said to his firstborn man in his own private relationship, he said, you can have, and this is amazing point. 
no Eve was there when God tells Adam, the firstborn, the following. Adam, you can have everything you want. Eat whatever you want of every tree. Just don't eat of one tree only. And that is the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat it, you will surely die. Why did he put that there, that big unpleasant choice? Well, he was a father. He was the father of Christ. He was the father, a good father. He didn't want a puppet. Oh yeah, I'll make Adam, he's entitled, he can get what he wants, he doesn't have to love me. God wanted it to be a real relationship. He wanted it back and forth. He wanted to say, I don't want a puppet that has to do it. I want to give them a choice to either serve me, follow me, because it will be good for them, or I will let them do their own way and it will not be good, but that is their choice. And that's why I think we all need to let everyone know God is a good God, but he wants us each to make our choice. And I also think that when I speak and present the word of the Lord through me as Selah's, that's part of letting you figure it out to see if it's really in the Bible, if it makes sense, if it's from the Lord, and that is your choice out of respect. This is a respectful God and a respectful authority to let you hear God for yourself. If God was somebody that wanted man or humans to be dependent on him, if he was codependent, yeah, I got to fix it. So they're all, you know, that is a whole different field. We're talking about the real father wanting choices, not a puppet. So it says, God put the man in there and he said, but of the good tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat for you. Do, if you eat it, you'll surely die. Then later God watched Adam and he saw Adam alone. And Adam was, you know, lonely. And God felt for him. He had empathy and compassion. And he said, I'm going to make him a helpmate. So what he did was, he says, it is not good that man, firstborn Adam, will be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. Out of the ground of the Lord, out of the ground of, let's see, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and brought him to Adam. Let's see. And Adam was busy working. For a couple of verses down in 21 it says and the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall on adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh and then he made the woman and brought her to the man all right so if you look at what we got we got eve the first woman made out of the same dna as adam that means she's equal she is healthy She's not his subservient. She's not his waitress, his slave, or his mother. There is a whole respectful order. It is my opinion for men that God really wants you to have your own relationship. If you are married or if you have a family or if you have a mother, you need to have your own relationship with the Lord, not depending, not going on anybody's coattails. You have to have enough strength to go to God and have a separate relationship that at times will include, if you're married, a, your partner, your other half, but you don't want to make that like usurping, oh yeah, I don't need to try now. I got my wife to pray. I got wifey over there. She'll be the head of the home in the spirit while I work really hard. And that's what really does happen through the years if we're not careful. So I really think it's a great thing. 
you know, through the years, there's vocabulary. This would be called headship, but I do not say it headship meaning control. I do not mean it dominating or you're, you know, you're under me. That's the old law kicking in. That's after the sin nature came in and they started to find fault and, you know, tried to be the victim and the victor and all this ego and, you know, that carnality came in. This is just plain old chain of command. Everyone is valued equally. Everyone is valued and respected. No, it is E-O-R-R -R all the way. And I believe because we have so many different colors of humans in the population that God designed all of them with all this color to come out through the DNA through the years. I really do that. So mine is to say I'm not finding fault with chain of command. Fault comes when you have big eyes, carnality, you have false teaching, immaturity. Yes, I've heard that the wife is the weaker, you're the weaker vessel, therefore you can't or you shouldn't because you are less. That is the old timey hills teaching coming down without defragging the doctrine. So we're trying to do that. We're going to try to teach God and defrag Jesus's dad so he didn't get all the blame as some, you know, standing there trying to smite you if you make any mistake either. Let's keep on with this. So Adam and Eve are there. It's very healthy. Everybody loves each other. Everybody can depend on everybody. Everybody shows up. If they say they're coming, there's none of this weird flakiness. Man, it was a society ready to happen. <laughs> All right. So we look at chapter two. God is resting. Then he puts Adam in the garden and he, Adam is busy. And while Adam is asleep, he forms Eve. All right. So there is nothing big eye. No reason for chauvinism, no reason for using, no reason for any kind of misogyny. That is after the fall when sin and the pit of hell came into relationships and then teaching lost its skill. You know, today I looked at myself, I didn't bring my brush and I was in a rainstorm today. So excuse the, this is the real South Carolina look, frizzy hair. <laughs> but anyway, that's all right. So chapter three is the big deal but let's finish with chapter two so god has made the woman brought her out from man in his same dna equal just separate and in my opinion because i come from family that had leaders in it with females and males i would say she was the governor's wife i mean really everyone had their field but I don't feel that she dulled down or was being diminished or less than i think that she was just called to do certain things but not limited you know a lot of people today are scientists there are a lot of women that are rocket scientists and they're doing all these things i don't believe any of the limiting ego or legalism would limit eve to do anything or any female or male or black person or white person or green person or tall person if unless we had all the sin in the world nobody would be limited to not do anything because there would be one, no rebellion, no accusation. See, the accusation is the huge limiting factor in much ministry and relationships. And usually in the Christian sense, it's because they are taught poorly, were brought up abnormally, have bias from their way back, and they just have been taught 
wrong because it's back under the law by people who had no skill of really different, you know, a lot of this relationship issues, not putting everyone down, but I'm submitting this for you to think about chapter three, everything in chapter one and two, everything is wonderful. Go and picture like heaven on earth and you got it. No issues, no baggage, no garbage, no pollution either, no wars. That is the perfect reason God made it in the first place. However, he didn't want a puppet. He left every human with the ability to choose who you're going to respect, the most high God that made you or yourself or somebody else before God. And this is what happens in chapter three. All right, chapter three happens after, and we can look in the back of the book, Revelation 12, 7 through 11. All right, if you look in the back of the book, we have the picture of what was going on in heaven. It was the rebellion and mutiny of the first worship leader, the gifted and talented Lucifer Beelzebub, who is the worship leader with beautiful gar ornaments made into his body and musical instruments. But because he got a big ego, he started to compete or wanting to be God, and he got some of the angels and they started to accuse God. See, he's the accuser. Satan equals the accuser. Right? Therefore, we don't want to model, role model him in ministry or family or parenting, especially. We don't want to, we want to role model the non-accuser, that's Jesus, the Messiah of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, would not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor make decisions based on what he heard. All right. So Revelation. 12, 11. It's a huge, huge portion of scripture which is not taught. I'm going to briefly, excuse me, chapter 11. Um, it says there was, verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Who is the dragon? Satan, the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the devil himself. All right. And the dragon fought and his angels division, accusation against God, but they did not prevail. Neither were their place found anymore in heaven. They got booted out. And the, you know, the devil is the issue. His issue, no relationship, real respect for anybody but himself. He's a mentally tough customer from the get-go. He didn't even respect the maker God, and he was up in the glory with him in the heaven, you know. So the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. And he was cast out onto the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now you can read the rest. That's Revelation 12, 7 through 11, that at the end of this passage, it says that the church, because of Christ, his salvation, the kingdom of his, you know, his salvation and power, gave the church back, the true church, leaders and lay, the power back over the accusation, over Satan, over the accuser. It says they, that's the church, we overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and we love not our life unto death. That's a huge topic. I don't have time today. All right. But you can think on that. So we look now, the devil, this is when it happened, when he got kicked out, and now let's go to Genesis 3. Afterward, psh, 
down onto the earth into lovely, beautiful garden comes the beguiling, stinky, sneaky snake. Like the, to me, it's like the Job 41 sneaky snake of superior pride of Leviathan and wrote Job 2041. You can't catch it. It's just like serpentine, hard to, to get it rid of it. All right. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. Now, subtle, what does that word mean? Sleep, sneaky, cagey, sly. But what about? It involves a relationship. It's starting to work people in relationships, cause damage and accusation and win in its art. Abiding relationship theology, this is bad art. All right. Inside every human heart is art, abiding relationship, theology. Are you going to treat them with respect? Are you going to try to own them, kill them, love them, forgive them, or use them? This is the issue. And our ministry teaches abiding relationship, theology, males and females, racism, anti-racism, and all sorts of equal opportunity, real respect. All right. So the user serpent, the sneaky serpent, the snake, all right, he came down and he said to the woman, now see, here we come to the great teaching moment, which is affected even today from thousands and thousands of years of training teachers in ministry. It is a huge point, all right? The serpent comes down, he finds Eve alone, and he deceives her. Here's what he does. He says to the woman, has God said to you, Eve, did God, did God tell you not to eat of that one tree? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but of just that one garden, the God said we should not eat it. And the verse four, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die. So we find the accuser coming into the garden, cast out of heaven, and the accuser is in the male gender. The only time the accuser in the whole Bible, Revelation 7, uh, 12, 7 through 11, plus Genesis 3, the only time it's in the male gender. To me, I don't say all males. I don't accuse males of all being accusers, prophets, pastors, or parents. But you need to know that chain of command and authority, a lot of it historically and traditionally has been males now it's step parents and parents and prophets and pastors and potentates. So be careful. That means if I don't teach bias, I'm defragging accusation against men, real men. Then how come a lot of men, some of these real men think all women are Jezebels or they think the Jezebel is only a woman. It's both just like their accuser women and female and gossips. So they're men. They're accuser dominating individuals and people that teach false teaching in males and females. But maybe there is the gender proclivity to be tempted in that by certain people. Now, I've, I came from being micromanaged by some strong, too strong-willed females. My grandmother on my father's side and my mother, I learned not to be that way. I really did. So I'm very hyper about being very uncontrolling, and I had to to fight being dominated. That's why I teach strong how not to control and how not to be controlled. And part of it is by religious spirit browbeating and false training. 
that is wrong and has misogyny can be in there. All right, so we don't want to do it to the men either. So we find that the big memory in everyone's collective Christian ministry mind is that Eve sinned first and she was deceived. Yes. Okay. Let's say this. Are all women easily deceived? No. Just like all men are not accusers. So therefore we say that Eve was not dumb. She was caught, you know, she was naive. She was deceived and she actually sinned. But let's see what happens with Brother Adam. All right. So Eve said, but we're not supposed to eat it because God said not to, but she ate it anyway. All right. And the, and the, um, let's see, verse five of verse four of chapter three of Genesis. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for God knows that in your, the day that you eat it, really your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to be like him, like a God, and no good and evil. So he's very convincing, you know. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Now see, here's how he used it. He used the visual realm. And that is very hard for people with that like food or clothes or whatever, shopping. That can be, but that can be men too. It can be both, all right. So the woman saw that the tree looked good. It look good. Oh yeah, it looks good. But what did God say? What did God say? Oh, that didn't matter. It looks good. That's like today. All right. So woman rationalized that it looked pretty good. I don't see anything wrong with it. Doesn't look like it's marked, you know, got disease. It looks like it's FDA approved, first garden approval, you know. So she ate it. And then it says, this is the big one, chapter six. And when she ate it, she went to her husband and he did eat. Let's point this out. Eve is deceived. She goes to Adam, the firstborn, who heard the instruction from the Lord by himself in the garden before Eve was formed. Do not eat of that fruit or you'll die. So Adam is by himself and she comes up and she says, as he's the head of the house, head of the planet, the firstborn chain of command, not a controller, not a dominator, not a diminisher. So his responsibility is to whom? His responsibility, having a relationship privately with God before Eve, he should honor that, treasure it, value it. But he gets blinded visually by his wife and he thinks this is my opinion oh i don't want to hurt her feelings oh she looks so beautiful she's offering me the fruit you know it's a lot of things coming into play emotionally and you know being tempted so eve comes over after she ate and she gave the fruit to her husband at that point the chain of command head of home could should have manned up humaned up and said honey I'm sorry, you sinned. I am not going to do that to God. God told me not. I feel personally responsible as the head of the family and the head of chain of command to let's quickly go to God and confess and repent so that he will not get upset with us. He could have done it, but he didn't. So let's read on. And so the husband took it from her hand and ate it. Later, God says, Adam... You pleased her before you pleased me. You chose her 
over-pleasing me too late. You did it to yourself. All right. So what happened with Eve and Adam, now that they've both ingested, you know, Adam willfully ate it, chewed it, swallowed it, ingested it, and once they both ate it, wow, their eyes were open. The big eyes that mean, oh, we're naked, and oh my gosh, we knew, we, we know we've done something really wrong, really, we're in trouble now. They were in the dark side. All right. So they knew they were naked and they sewed, sewed their fig leaves together and made aprons. Now see, they were not ashamed. No fear was in the garden until they sinned. No shame about sex was in the garden. No worries about anything. Nothing but joy and being happy. All right. So now that the dark side, they've allowed it, they've invited, you know, they chose and they brought it on. All right. It says now they're trying to come up with a game plan. Quickly, let's, you know, we're embarrassed now and we got to scurry around and figure it out. Let's figure it out. Let's manipulate. Let's figure out how we can hide it from God. That's human nature. The sin nature, the fallen nature is starting to come out. All right. Verse 8, then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. So they're getting crafty, their art, abiding relationship theology is getting darker. Let's hide, let's concoct a plan, let's manipulate God so he doesn't understand, you know, he won't figure out that we what we've done the deed. So a lot of things are human, just like today, and it's the same old style of relationship issues and theology, really is, and rationalization. So that here comes God. They'd always had this great relationship with God, and they could hang out with him in his presence, and, you know, and everything would be fine. Well, now that he, they could hear him coming, they were like, all right, let's scurry, let's get our plan together, and let's wrap this thing so God can't tell. So God comes and they were hiding. And here's the big point for men, Christian men. All right. It says, and God called unto Adam and said unto Adam, where art thou? This is a great dad lesson, a great Christian leader lesson. It's amazing. God comes up and he knows, he already knew what was going on and how bad they wrecked his plan. Sin had come in. It had wrecked the whole future of the garden. All right. His big plan. All right. Now it'd have to go through all this pain. All right. Instead of coming after Adam, like some parent, some angry, rabid, authority, religious spirit saying, Adam, where are you? I know you sinned. I know what you did. Wrath of God. That's what everybody thinks Father God is like. That's why I'm saying this. All right. I love the way Adam is there. You know, he's hiding around and trying to make himself get away with it. Con God. But God, instead of coming up screaming or demeaning, disrespecting and devaluating, devaluing Adam, because his wrath is out of control, he comes up and simply says, Adam, where are you? I notice a couple of things. One is he says, Adam, where are you? Not Eve, where are you? Eve was the first one who was deceived, but Adam willfully partook. So he respects Adam because of chain of command as head of the home. 
So there is an accountability for the head of command, head of office. And in these days where males and females may have ministry or, you know, single parents, all that is you, your head of home there. But in this framework of the male-female type thing in the garden, we see there is a personal respect for Adam and a valuing of Adam by himself, but yet holding him directly accountable for what happened on his watch. However, God does not demean him, destroy him, rebuke him. He gives him time to man up, human up, and tell God the truth, but he does not. So he has his choice again on how to behave. All right. So what Adam has done is not valuing God. He's not just not pleasing God. He's not valuing the respect that God made him and that that was his chain of command, you know, his authority. Because Adam is not pure. And now he wants to hide and protect self. He wants to do anything to get away to protect his own hide. All right. He hides to hide his hide. That's what he wants. And that is pride that hides. All this is human carnality, which is part of all of us. Really, all of it's not like, oh, we're so holy. We just got to deal with it. That's it. It's real life. That's all it is. And the Lord God said, where are you? Thinking, Adam, let's see if Adam's going to fess up. That's really great parenting. It really is great pastoring. You let them decide if they'll fess up or say, do the right thing or not, but you're not hostile. You're not angry. All right. So what Adam says when God tell out, ask Adam, Adam, where are you? Instead of saying, well, God, here's what happened. The woman, you know, Eve's deceived, but I willfully took participate and ate it. He doesn't do that. His honor and character do not shine. All right. So then he said, verse 10, Adam says, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid, God, because I was naked and I hid myself. And at least he's being truthful there. Verse 11, and God said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? Of course, God knows, but. This is he's giving Adam a second chance to really man up, human up and confess, stand up. He says, uh, did you eat of that tree? And instead of saying yes, Adam starts to connive and manipulate and con God, his relationship, because he now tries to accuse or blame shift onto the closest person next to him, which is his wife, his spouse, Eve. And he says, God says, Adam, uh, did you do it? And he, instead of saying a direct yes, he says, well, uh, uh, that woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree of the fruit and I did eat it. Yes, I did, but she did it. She made me. And see that blame shifting is Oh, that is human nature all the way. That is just the basic life. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> when I was out in part of Dallas, when I was trying to get the ministry started from my house, I was putting an ad in the paper and I met chaotic, dysfunctionally raised people who said they were believers time after time. It was just a horrible experience. I thought, what's the future of our nation? You couldn't get a straight answer. And so I wrote... They'd always blame shift. Oh, well, I, uh, 
And so I wrote adventures in blameshifting.wordpress.com at the time in 2013 to at least relieve the stress. And, you know, it makes me have a funny perspective, but it was like sad for our nation. All right. So now we have the blame shifting has entered onto the scene of human life, the ducking, avoiding, being recountable, even with God. And they start to think women are the reason for it all. And that's the sad thing, because now, after people teaching it, that Adam, that Eve was to blame, that women are easily deceived, that stereotype has come down into the New Testament, the lust-filled women, the little weaker, dumber, stupider, second-hand vessel, that's out in deep southwest. I met this, or I wouldn't even have mentioned it. I've never seen anything like it in the lowest form of <laughs> certain circles. It was disgusting for the future of people not respecting people. It's God's people. Male, I'm a human first, then a female. You're a male or human or whomever first, and black. Second, you're a person inside out. Your earth suit is second. You're a human, valuable to God, everybody equal. All right. So then we go over to the blame shifting capital of the Garden of Eden. And the, you know, Adam says, Well, the woman made me do it. So God turns to the woman and says, What have you done? And the, earth, and the woman said, Well, the serpent beguiled me and I ate it. So they're all, you know, trying to get out. And so then the curse comes, and the curse of pain and childbirth on woman, and then the curse of uh, being subordinate to the man all her life, that's a curse. All right, we want to be chain of command, not underlings or dominated or like you're nothing but trash, easily used and abused and belittled. You don't want to be that. That is not this picture of this picture with Adam and Eve at all. All right. So then we have the picture of the curse put on the male, the male to, you'll have to, well, to everybody, the you'll have to work by the sweat of your brow, you'll have poverty at your door, and all these things happen. So this is a huge deal to teach this, but I'm teaching it through the lens of pre-law. No legalism, no males thou should not, no Paul say women don't do that. I'm teaching it before the Ten Commandments, before fault-finding, sin-spying, and little women and false teaching got in and teaching it real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. What I'm doing is respecting men, God's men to be the men, but I'm respecting women to be the capable female that you're called to be. And just if you're married, if you go to church, be chain of command. So that's not a big deal. One of the things I realized that I didn't grow up under the law, a lot of charismatics and spirit-filled did, I did not grow up under women thou shalt not. I was raised like respected, not under the law. It was like, oh, if a woman is good at it, she does this. If she's married, she says, honey, do you mind? And he says, no, that, then you do it, which I've always done. So there's none of this legalism that is set in place in a lot of certain circles of Christianity and males and females and out in the audiences oh man out in the prison house of a lot of these fellowships and ministries oh man not all and so I have never been needed to be liberated I was you know I was raised 
in the generation where it was starting to be fashionable to be women's lib. But when it came around me in college or whenever that was, I thought, why? I'm already liberated. I don't feel anybody holding me back. I don't. But it wasn't until I got out in the charismatic Christian circles in the last 30, 20 years in the prophetic mood, basically out in the field, I now teach it for the sake of them, for all the people that are putting people back under the law, criticizing and diminishing ladies and all people. Now, see, if you teach the Christian, I figured if you teach the born again Christian that quotes that Bible, that's known for their, you know, hate speech, if you correct them and get them sensitive about the law, not being under the law, defragging accusation, not being into witch watching, not being into sin spying, respecting and value everybody, including all their theology, even if you disagree, all colors of skin, then God can work on all of us and make us Jesus Christ's name revered and honored again and understood and not reviled. So if I meet somebody, let's say they're not of the gender of male and female, that's their choice, you know, they're not into that. I first think, I haven't walked in their shoes. What went on with these people? What happened? What's going on with them now? I think of their backstory. And I think all these people, LGBT people, what have they lived through? I've dealt with many gay people, homosexual community males and females, the horrible things that people have done to them many times, molesting the priest, the father. I mean, you do not know what they've done. And then they have this, this, the terrible news and, you know, people putting them down that say they're Christian. So I pull back from that. I do not disrespect. One thing I like about LGBT, Hindus, liberals, Buddhists, and Baptists, they are not lukewarm. Out in Dallas, I learned, man, I'm so grateful to find anybody who's not lukewarm and full of passion for their beliefs. I was meeting too many PC Christians, ornery PC Christians. So I thought, let's just, hey, so if you meet somebody, you don't know if they're your friend or not. You know, if you can trust anybody, black or white or male or female or anybody, you respect them. You respect them equally as the office of every human made in God's image. You evaluate them by their fruit and their character, but they may have a fully different theology than you, and you have to understand that and respect them, value them as the human, and then if God opens a door for you to show God's love, do so. Don't compromise, but do not bully, browbeat, demean, disrespect. They've already been there. And that's what gets me is the concern I have for the good name, for the mistaken representation of Jesus Christ due to the snakes in the grass that call themselves a Christian or minister. When I was in Murphy, Texas, and I had a house when I started to meet the blame shifters that replied <laughs> at one point, uh, I had a transcriber answer my ad. I wanted a transcriber, so I put in the ad in the paper, and I thought it was a female. Well, when we interviewed at the local coffee shop, this gentleman, a portly gentleman in a big Hawaiian shirt, showed up. And I figured he might be gay, and turned out he was. So we sat, and I said, you know, 
uh, this is a Christian ministry. I don't mind hiring. You know, you're not in the ministry. You're helping me with the transcribing. I'm open, but are you a Christian? You're going to know I'm going to be teaching Christian principle things. So he said to me, he's like 54. He said, I used to be a Christian. So I thought, you see, everybody's got a backstory. So I, we sat there. I said, well, tell me what happened. And he said, well, I was a Catholic in school and up in the way up north, not Dallas or anywhere. I was up in a Catholic school in high school and the priest started to rape me. And so it went on every year. And at the end of the time of high school, I told my father and his father was was up at a big donor, had a huge corporation, was giving to the church. Well, he told his father, and his father started to do it to him, too. Those are the two Christians now that are representing Jesus to this young man, all right? So after that, he left, and he went down to San Francisco, and he found a partner, and he would bake for the hospices. I was out in Dallas, where it was the most merciless compassion fatigued and dry, no love, uh, Christian community I'd ever been around. So I was like, listen, you can't knock somebody's bacon for the dying. My gosh. <laughs> What's this theology? So then he said, he and his partner moved back to Dallas where I met him and they were doing it to nurse the partner's elderly parents and they bought, they were building a dream house. So in Dallas, they were building their dream house, and they, the contractor, who was a Christian, a nice Christian, took their money and said, when they tried to get it back, I'll pray for you. Three out of three. That gets my attention. That's get my attention. They're the, you know, who are they meeting that say they're Christian? That was, to me, typical. Uh, I was feeling at the time down there. Then he said he had another job, and he said, these people at the job would uh, leave tracks on his desk, very pointed tracks. And see, after this, I was just shocked, you know, sad for him. I understood his point. He said, but I researched the Bible. This is why I really love and respect all people. I just am marveling at people these days, how amazing they are. So he said, I researched the Bible, and I found that there are 333 verses, something like that, that warn you against the heterosexual, and only nine that warn you against the homosexual. And I laughed. I thought, this guy's good. So I respect people who are different from me. I'm just so, I'm not PC, but I think, man, I haven't walked. I respect them, and when I respect them, God can work on them and shock them that I'm not afraid of them, not up scorning them better than them, putting them down, that I'm not a religious spirit. I mean, really, let God do this, not me. So in a long story short, he, he is the one. This God used this person who is kin to the royal family, really was smart, very smart, kin to England, the British royal family. <laughs> anyway, he um, was amazing. He's the one that told me about the Ezekiel sins of Sodom. You got to read the Ezekiel sins of Sodom. That's what the church was like. That's how I teach on it a lot. I teach on the sins of Sodom because so many people are accusing homosexuals, accusing people so righteously when they don't even realize that half the church is not is acting like Edom, the sin, excuse me, the sins of Sodom in their lack of compassion. 
overwork, overachievement, no love, not helping, not humble anymore, and not even helping the poor like this man was, this person was homosexual. Why should I look down or feel better or put him down or anybody like that? So I respect anybody. I really do. I respect you if you think, if your values are different, but and you're, you know, you're nice, you're respectful to me, but I respect you to hear God for yourself. I will not compromise. I do not. But I know that a lot of people have been so hurt and put down by the arrogant, proud, Bible-quoting, religious-osity that they automatically... I had a, um, a gay hairdresser at one point. And, I mean, I'm not looking. I just... Lord leads me, and I end up meeting people. That's all I do. And so... <laughs> I mentioned just to see what would happen. I said, well, you know, I'm born again. He went, because he expected me to be a hate speaker. He expected me to put him down. And I'm not. I just was curious, what do you do? So um, the long story is nobody's, nobody's perfect. Nobody knows it all. And nobody is not without some kind of shortcoming sin, besetting sin. So this drove me to study relationship. It drove me to study Bible doctrine. It drove me to study what is legalism, what are besetting sins, what is flagrant, outright unrighteous sin, and what is accusation versus impersonating a minister, saying you're a minister when you're really a false accuser, a bully, and what is a real Christian like Jesus. And so my bottom line for everybody, not pablum, but I would say everybody go through your Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was alive on the earth planning his work, the church, and watch every relationship in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, not the gossips, the Gospels, and see how Jesus Christ acted and reacted with women, his mother, Mary, the downtrodden, the fallen women, the little children, males and females, you name it. Just see how he acted and reacted, and you will not find half the religious ministry stuff that goes on in our nation today that says it represents Jesus. You really wouldn't. So we're putting out a lot of this to stir up thought to frighten the religious spirit. We really are, because time is short. So I'm gonna end with uh, a good thought. I value the fathers and mothers of the moves before me. I really do. I value my father. I value the fathers that have taught all kinds of famous Christians and before them, I do. God had told me, through the years, I just knew that was only right. I've always honored my father and mother, and God has allowed me grace and protection to live this long, to feel hot, you know, very healthy, and to keep on going, feeling really young, to, you know, really not feeling my age by God's grace. So I honor and value the teachers who come before me, whether they spoke in tongues or not, people of the Christian faith, black and brown and white, those who are mature. What I do caution is that nobody in moves that are from the 80s or 70s that are my age, basically, that we do not get too sin conscious or filled with ourself and our own 
doctrine, celebrity. I think we need to mull that down. Uh, I've had a word of the Lord a few weeks ago, and I'll mention it again. And it's the Lord put on my heart. Every move of God is a rough draft for the next move. That means that every move of God from way back to now, nobody's known it all, had it all, heard it all, or done it all. So therefore, let's say from Billy Graham age, every move is a rough draft of the next move. 80s and 90s move, faith move, all these different prophetic moves. Everyone is a grateful gift, but we still need to look at it and evaluate it from the top to see if the fruit, what should remain and what could remain that's really healthy and that has not been warped by the grassroots and TV media. That's my big thing. The big thing is warping of our nation of good, healthy doctrine now made capitalism or whatever merchandising out of it and a lot of disrespect, a lot of high and mighty celebrity disrespect, not equal and also bias. Much of this bias can be traced back to just what I've mentioned today, the failure to understand roles of males and females in the Christian community, right? And there's so much bias. I had no clue the bias until I moved to the Deep South for 15 years and I'm back, but it's still there. Misogyny I'd never heard of in Christian ministry. It is there. So let's work on ourselves. Let's work on our theology and say that even if this is the last move of God that we're in right now, we have no proof that it is. And we still don't take ourselves so seriously. We still say, you know, we, we need to be reproved. We need to really make sure we're work, doing it right. We're not, we have humility. So we pick out the hay throw out the stubble of every former move, every now move, everybody else. Do your thing that God tells you to please him. And then don't try not to have an occasion to the flesh, to accusation and fault finding and ministry, big I, little you, whatever this type of thing, bossing and dominating that is not in the Messiah of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is imported Roman patricianism. Spectral evidence, Roman patricianism are two huge topics in the spirit-filled charismatic, two huge topics. That's what I've spent a lot because it affects relationships. It ruins Jesus' name, makes him not trustworthy, and it makes it like a corporation or bowing and scraping instead of a community. We're four Ephesians for community, multicultural community, no big eyes, little U's. There is such a scripture in Zephaniah or Zechariah, I think it's Zephaniah that said, you can have, you will have renown. Renown is okay. That means it's like fame, but it's not everybody bowing and scraping celebrity. It is renown to get the influence out. And you can have renown, but you don't have to be a, as in sort of famous, but that's because God needs you to be known and recognized, but you don't want to go to the celebrity because that is too much formula and the presentation doesn't always match the character or the love, the lack of love. And that's what we're talking about. So if you have any questions, you have concern, if you have zero tolerance for the female preacher, that's okay. You can have your opinion. Why? Why? 
Ephesians 4, common doctrine. Paul said, everyone walking it out that says it's a real Christian, it's a real Christian, walking out in meekness and lowliness, long-suffering, endeavoring to keep the bonds of peace as a good witness. You can at least try, all right, with God's help. And it says, everyone being on the same page, all the leaders with common doctrine, one Lord, one faith, one God, one, let's see, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, when God the Father was all. That, that means no legalism, no PC, but no legalism. You respect people. You have to respect people to hear God for themselves. You lead the horse to water. You lead them and train them, and then they got to go the rest of the way with God. That's what creates a disciple. It creates a mature person, a healthy person that is a noble ram that doesn't swallow every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike. We want a healthy body at the grassroots. That's where this is really needed. All right. So when Lord, when faith, when baptism, when God, the Father of us all are the hallmarks of a true Christian, you got to believe it or you're not one. One Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> one faith, the Christian faith. One baptism, baptism in water like Jesus. We're not calling the baptism of the Holy Spirit Acts 2 that because that is that is also used, not always called that by different groups. So we're talking about water baptism. All right, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of us all, the Creator, Eternal Father, the Holy Father, the Father of Jesus. So we're looking for the bride of Christ. That's what we got here. We are looking for the bride. All right. We're not looking for the pride, the sin spire. No, we're looking for the bride, the humble bride of Christ who knows their relationship, theology and skill and strength with God's help. Ephesians 4, common doctrine in unity, the transformed Christian faith community that is so shocking that they're finally loving and respectful and on the same page, not needing to be right. They're so healthy that they catch the secular attention of everybody else. And that's what is needed. So we're for the bride of Christ. We're for the Ephesians community, bride of Christ. We're for the Philadelphia Love Walk Church of Revelation, bride of Christ. Do you realize that the Philadelphia Church of Revelation, the brotherly love church, is the only church whose doors will never close. Enough said. The last comment with my last thought is this. Do you know who Genesis 5, 24 Enoch is? Do you know who, Je do you know who Enoch is? That was descendant of grandson, or like, like seven generations past Adam after the garden. Adam lived to 800. All these people are living back then to 800. Well, Enoch lived to 365 years. And it said that Enoch was a prophet and he walked and talked with God daily. And one day God took him. To me, I think we're in a season of an Enoch generation. I think we better think our plan. Are we final day ready and make everybody, you know, get everybody alerted. Are you really some of these playtime pablum pumpers? Are you really ready? Am I really ready at any time to go? I'd rather look foolish and be prepared just in case. That's how I put it. 
So FDR, final day ready. And then um, we don't want to be of the falling away. We don't want to be of the reason people are running away either. <laughs> and we don't want to be listed on Jesus Christ's rebuke list when we think we've got it made in the shade to be up in heaven because we're such great ministers. We don't want to find out when it's too late that Jesus is saying, Matthew 7, 22, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do good works in your name and cast out devils and all these things in your name? And the Lord said, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't really you know, want to know me. You just wanted to do it because it was your talent, your gift. You thought it looked good or whatever. You never kept in touch to see if I really said to do all that. So um, that day is going to be a huge winnowing, a huge mistake if we don't work on it now. And some of you, I'm I really mean it. Since Dallas, I have really had that as a scripture to warn people in ministry about the Lord. And who is he talking to? Matthew 7, 22 and 21, that area. He's talking to the spirit filled that prophesy, that do miracles and signs and wonders. The word lawless, depart from me who work iniquity. It also translate into lawless, which translate with the uh, Strong's Concordance into you who practice false authority. If I've ever heard the word authority and governmental authority in the last 30 years coming from tongue talkers and the legalism and the requirements and all the do this, all the backbiting because they're not covered or under, man, I'd really be careful. I would examine my theology, your theology, everybody else's theology. So I'm submitting it to you. I'm submitting it to you in God's whole counsel for you to be the noble Berean that would make Paul proud and get your own Bible out and see if all this is true and it really is in the Bible. We need to do that, leaders. We really need to do that. The time is short and the legalism is PhD, piled high and deep. It really is. Let's have mercy. And we ask for mercy. Lord, we ask for mercy for all of us, for mercy on our government, for mercy on ourselves, for mercy on our lives, for mercy on our ministry, for mercy, 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 Lord. Only you, by your grace and your goodness, can keep us at this hour from falling apart, from being taken advantage of, for falling down, for doing anything. And Lord, we ask for mercy with all the strange weirdness and violence in this nation i really mean it for our families and all the christians that ever whoever hears this voice we ask it lord we thank you for it and lord we know that you are good you are the good good father thank you father in jesus name amen god bless you this is tavo drc signing off for now